Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Go to Luke chapter number two with me, and if you found your place, and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter number two, and we're going to read here the beginning part of this Christmas story. We'll read verse number one, and we'll go all the way down to verse number 19. Luke chapter two, verse one, all the way down to Luke, or or to verse number 19. So Luke two, one to 19. This is the familiar Christmas story, and as we read through it, you'll be reminded of its familiarity as we go through. Luke chapter number two. Do you, you ever get a present, and inside of the present it's all wrapped up, but then it's placed in, inside of a, a box, and then that box is all wrapped up and placed inside of a larger box, and then that box is Wrapped up and placed inside of it. That's a, that's a waste of wrapping paper, of time. Okay, if you do that, you have way too much free time on your hands. If that's how you're, you're handling your gifts, okay? But as you unwrap each layer, right, it's a, it's a surprise inside. You're getting, opening up one, there's a, something there you weren't expecting. You unwrap that, something there you weren't expecting. A lot of times you come to the, the Christmas Story, there's, there's, there's more to unwrap than you originally thought. There's more to it than maybe at first you realized. And that's what we'll see with the Lord's help this morning. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife was being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, And lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even to Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. 
And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that you would unwrap for us the meaning of Christmas. Father, even for those that perhaps have heard the Christmas story a dozen times, Father, I pray that there might be some some new part of your character, your love, your attributes. Father, unwrapped for us this morning, and may we respond like the shepherds with praising. May may we respond like Mary with, with thinking, being amazed at what this must mean, of what Christmas must truly mean, that we, Father, might be able to know you because you came to be with us. Father, we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, I will tell you this. When you read Luke chapter number two, it, it does not begin like this. Now, once upon a time in a faraway land. That's not how it begins because that's not how it is. Christmas is not simply a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. It's not just another story that we like to hear. Christmas The Christmas account begins very standard. It begins with very basic things that you need to know about the story. Where is the story taking place? What city are they in? It it even tells us why it's beginning. It's beginning because there is a taxation. Jesus was sent at a time when there was a tax levied on all of the land and all of those that live in the land were respond, responding accordingly. But, but I, want you to, I want to show you simply, very, very simple. Look, look with me there in, in verse number 11. Look with me in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and notice this, which is... What's those last three words? Say it with me. Ready? Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Now, I'm assuming that because you're here this morning and maybe in a, a, a very general sense, you'd say, well, well, sure, Pastor, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I, I believe he was the Messiah, that, that long-awaited one. I, I believe that God sent Jesus for us, and Jesus was the one that God sent. I, I believe it in a, a very gen, general way, that, that he is the Lord. Do, do you believe that Jesus is the Lord? Let me ask you a little more straightforwardly. Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? 
Not simply do you believe that he is the Lord as the generic or general sense, but in a very personal way. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your tongue? Is he the Lord of your thoughts? Is he the Lord of your time? Is he the Lord of your entertainments? Is he the Lord of your attitude? Is he the Lord of your money? Is he the Lord of your habits and hobbies? Is he your Lord? I'm not asking the question, will you make him Lord? No, whether you make him Lord or not, he is the Lord. It's affirmed for us in the scripture. It was validated for us when he rose from the grave. It's sealed for us in the testimony of God's word. Christ is the Lord. Whether you choose to make him it or not, he is the Lord. But is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? There are three ways in the text that that you really see from from Luke that Christ is the Lord, even in all that's taking place here. Three things that we see, three areas that we see Christ is demonstrating himself as the Lord. And I want to show you them them just quickly this morning, and then we'll go. Notice first, he's the Lord in the census. He is the Lord in the census. So, So we see, even in this census, even in this taxing, his controlling providence. So you, the, the verse begins, or, or the chapter rather begins, verse number one, it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. So, so he's telling us a little bit of the setting. The setting here is the Roman Empire was at its fullest strength. And they were expanding their empires, or, or their empire rather, all the way to the west, the east, the north, the south. And in order for them to continue their expansion, they needed resources. So the phrase or the name Caesar is what we would use like the president. So the Caesar was the one who was in charge of the Roman Empire. And this particular Caesar's name is Augustus. So Caesar Augustus, we would say like President Biden or President Reagan. We would, we would say it in this way. So Caesar Augustus is the political representation of, of this expanding kingdom. And in order to fund their expansion, they needed money. So he, he makes this census that, that everyone under the empire, everyone under the kingdom should return to their city where they were born. They should register so they could be taxed. This was inflation. That's what this was, okay? Don't, don't be mad about it today. It was happening in Jesus' day just the same, okay? So they're returning in order to be taxed. So the easiest way to know who they could tax was to have a long list of everyone ever born so then they could tax those people individually. And Joseph is returning to Bethlehem, the Bible says, because that's where he was from. Verse number four. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So it it appears here on the surface that, that the driving force behind this census, the, the, the driving force behind this tax is greed. 
But the driving, but I want you to see this point. The, the driving force is not greed. It's God. That God is at work in, in, in the most ordinary moments to bring about the most extraordinary outcome. That God is at work. Psalm 62 reads like this. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power belongs to God. And you need to remember that this Christmas morning. This entire nation of people are having to return to their cities of birth. They're having their lives completely disrupted. Why? So God can get Joseph and Mary all the way to Bethlehem for this one moment right here, which is recorded for us in Luke chapter number two. God is the one who has the power. God is the one who wields the power. God is the one who flexes his muscles and demonstrates the power. God is the one in full control. Presidents may have political power. Millionaires may have financial power. Generals may have military power, but mark it down. God and God alone has universal power. And God uses this power he has on behalf of his people. And God uses this power in order to accomplish his purposes. God uses this power on behalf of his people. And God uses this power in order to accomplish his purpose. Mary in her song back to the Lord, which was recorded for us in Luke 1. Mary says that it is the Lord who showed his strength with his arm. Literally the phrase means it's, it's God who flexed his muscles on our behalf. It's God who showed himself strong for you and for me. Mary understands what the psalmist is saying in verse 62, God and God alone has the power for us. Have you, ever, have you ever felt insignificant in the world? Have you ever felt powerless? Eight billion people on the planet, have you ever felt like you were just unknown, small, insignificant? In a world that makes big news of cultural, economic, political movements. We, we love to be enamored with all kinds of famous celebrities. It's easy to be discouraged in thinking, well, who am I? In this big old world of all these powerful movements, who am I? The scripture shows us that all of the political, cultural military, financial powers, all of them, even without their knowing it, are being guided by God, not for their own sake, but for his sake, not for their own good and glory, but for his good and glory. God, who 2,000 years ago directed all of the events at that very first Christmas morning, God, who arranged the stars in the sky, that very same God has arranged your life this morning. That very same God has arranged every detail, your family, your job, 
your school, your background, your relationship. Listen, God works in ordinary moments to bring about extraordinary outcomes. That is what we are seeing in this story. That God's hand is at work. Listen very closely. You'll notice in the text how Mary and Joseph are responding to the way that God is working. If you were being tasked to go all the way back to your birth city in order so you could register to pay taxes, how much grumbling and griping would you do? I just can't believe I got to get back here. I got to make these taxes. I don't know who voted for this guy, but I don't like him at all. How much grumbling and griping would we do? And yet in the text, what do we see from Joseph and Mary? But a spirit of humility, a spirit of faith, a spirit of trust. Why? Because Joseph and Mary understand something that you and I are seeing played out in the pages before us in the scripture. And that is that even in the census, Christ is the Lord. That even in taxing, God is still in control. It is in fact in the census that we see God's controlling providence, not just in their life, but in your life and in mine. That Christ is the Lord. Say it with me. Christ is in the census. Say it with me. Christ is the Lord. In the census, Christ is the Lord. But it's not just that. Notice this. In the city. Second, in the city. Christ is the Lord. In the city, we see this completed prophecy. Notice it says in verse four, and Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, who's being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished as she should be Delivered. You ever read the story and you've wondered why is Joseph and why is Mary, why are they traveling all the way to Bethlehem, leaving their home, leaving the comforts of their community, traveling all the way, 90 miles to go to this other city, this other place. Why is this happening? Who in their right mind would take this long trip? Most of it would have been traveled on the back of a donkey or, or perhaps a mule of some sort. Joseph and Mary, we know from the testimony of Scripture, they're not wealthy. And so probably one mule at best, which Mary would have been able to, to ride periodically, then stopping along the way. Josephus says this trip probably took them 10 days in the physical condition that Mary was in. She probably couldn't travel much longer than that. Why would they have taken this trip at this juncture, at this point? Even in the city, we see this, that God fulfilling his prophecies. Why are they taking this trip? Well, here's what I want you to understand. This is not because this is God's second plan. This is not plan B. No, the Bible teaches us that even before the foundations of the world, even before God created the world, God determined to save sinners through sending his own son into the world. Galatians chapter four, verse four and verse five, that in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, made curse for those of us who were under the law so that we 
who were under the law, we who were cursed by the law, you and I who were sinners could be made righteous in the sight of God through Christ. Why are they traveling all the way to Bethlehem? Well, because Christ is the Lord. Say it with me, because Christ is the Lord. In 2,000 years before this story, in Luke chapter number 2, God had told Abraham, come out of your tent, Abraham. Look up at the stars. Count the stars. Do you see them? This is what your seed will be like. And through your descendants, through someone in your family, I will bless all of the earth because of the way in which you, Abraham, have responded in faith to me. And 990 years before this event in Luke chapter number 2, God came to David and God told David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one of your descendants, David, will sit on the throne and he will reign forever. Your throne will have no end. It's 735 years before this event in Luke chapter 2, God explained through the prophet Isaiah that there was coming a savior, a king, a prince of peace, and Emmanuel, the Messiah, God with us. All through the years, 2,000 years before Luke 2, God had made promises. And then you get to Luke chapter 2 and you know what it says? God made promises, look very, look, look very closely. God made promises, God kept his promises. Look here, God makes promises. God keeps his promises. There are, there are not very many people in the world who are good for their word. Have you learned that? And people will tell you one thing, tell you another thing. Not very many people in today's world are good for their word. Listen very closely. God is good for his word. If God makes a promise, he, he will keep them. Christmas is the reminder. Promise made, promise kept. God sent his son into this world for you and for me. And I want you to know right now, right where you are sitting, the God who has given you promises in this word is the God who will be faithful to complete the promises that he has given to you. It is God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will be absolutely faithful to that promise. It is God who has said that, that, that he will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will be faithful to complete his promise. It is God who said that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any power or height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God. God made a promise. You will not be separated from his love. God will keep his promise. It's God who promised that there's coming a day in which he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will come in a, there's coming a day where there will be no more sorrow, no more, no more heartbreak, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more earthquakes, no more tornadoes, no more devastation, no more sin. There is coming a day, and listen very closely, friend, God will prove himself faithful. Promise made, 
promise kept. Promise made, promise kept. The, the, the promise is only as good as the, as the character of the one making it. A promise is only as good as the character of the one making it. Sometimes you, you hear people say, oh, I promise I, I, I won't do it anymore. Two minutes later, I promise I, I, I won't do it anymore. Two minutes later, I promise I, I won't do it anymore. A promise is only as good as the, the character of the one making the promise. And what's God's character? What's God's character? Well, Malachi said God's character is this way. God's character is this, that he does not change. The big $5 word there is the immutability of God. And God changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can base, you can place, you can hope, you can put all of your faith and trust in the character of who God is because God does not change. A promise is only as good as the character of the one who made it. But watch, a promise is only as good as the ability of the one who's made it. I, I, I can tell my kids, I, I promise I'll be there. I promise I'll be there. I can, I can, I can tell my kids that, but, but can I really ensure that I will be there? Can I, can I really ensure that whatever situation they find themselves in, that, that I'll be there to make it right, fix it for them? No. I, I, I promise dad will, dad will never leave you. Well, well, I don't know how my life will go. I don't know what will play out in the rest of the day today or the year to come, 2023. A promise is only as good as the character of the one who's made it. God, God's character, immutable, changes not. A promise is only as good as the ability that one has to perform the promise of which he is made. A promise, I'll always be there for you. Moms and dads make those kind of promises to their kids. I promise I'll always protect you. And, and the intention is good, but the ability is weak. But not so with our God. God's intention is not only pure, not only true in that he does not change, but God's ability is full. God has the ability. God has the strength. God has the, not simply the omniscience to know what is coming, to know how to prepare you and I for it. But God is omnipotent in that God has the power. He has the resources. He has the strength in order to fulfill, in order to provide all that we will ever need in, for, in this life or the life to come. Say it with me. Christ is the, he's the Lord. He, he was the Lord in the census. His controlling providence is seen. It wasn't greed that was moving them. It wasn't simply Caesar's, Augustus' desire to expand the empire. No, no, no. This was God in control. God is, Christ is Lord. It's seen in the city because 2,000 years before the event in Luke chapter 2, God made a promise and God keeps his promises. Christ is Lord. Third one, last one. It's seen in the cradle. It's seen in the cradle. In the cradle we see his confirmed promise. Look at verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son. We wrapped him in swaddling clothes. 
She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, 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 now you're, you're, you're a smart congregation. Some of you. Now think with me. If, if God so ruled the world that he could arrange the circumstances to get Joseph and Mary all the way to Bethlehem on the day that Jesus would be born, could God not have also made sure that there was an open motel room when they got there? Well, sure he could have. Sure he could have. He could have made certain that there was a room available in the inn when they arrived. It got, God rules all things, that's what we said. Even motel capacities. God's in control. A Jesus could have been born to a wealthy family. Jesus could have in his ministry, turned the stones into bread when he was hungry in the wilderness. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him from the garden of Gethsemane when he was drinking that cup of sin, that cup of the wrath of God for us, like we were studying in Mark a few weeks back now. Jesus could have come down off the cross and saved himself the question is not what God could do. The question is what does God will to do? It was God's will that although Christ was rich, he became poor for us. It was God's will that Christ would humble himself, become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It was God's will that there would be a no vacancy sign hanging over all the ends in Bethlehem. Why? Because for your sake, he became poor. For your sake, he left the riches of heaven. For your sake, he put on flesh. He was rich. He became poor so that you and I, who are poor in our sin, who are enslaved to our sin, who find ourselves in destitution because of sin, could be made rich in the righteousness of Christ. You say, well, Pastor, why, why would he do that? Why, if he was rich, would he become poor? And here is why. Because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God so loved you that he humbled himself, put on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death on the cross, and then raised gloriously from the dead. He was rich. He became poor so that you and I who are poor might be made rich. You say, well, why did he have to come himself? I mean, if God loved me, he could have just wrote me a note and told me that. Imagine when I was preparing to, to marry Amanda. This is 23 years ago now. Took me a minute to get that last couple numbers. What, what, what do you think would be better if I wanted to marry Amanda, I wanted to ask her to marry me? What do you think would be better if I just sent one of my friends to ask her that for me? Or if I went and asked her myself? Well, of course, it'd be, it'd be better if I went and asked her myself. Of course, why? Well, because it's my relationship with her. My relationship with her matters to me. Her relationship with me matters to her. It's very personal. And so I wanted to go myself. I wanted to ask her myself. And so it is with the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ that Christ has not simply sent us a prophet. Christ has not simply sent us a message. He has sent himself. That God has come himself. Why? Because you matter to him. Because he loves you and you matter to him. There was no room for Christ in Bethlehem so that there could be room for you at Calvary. No room for Christ. He was rich. He became poor. So that when he would die on Calvary's hill, he might extend to everyone the invitation of salvation. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Say it with me one final time, would you? Christ is the Lord. Is he your Lord?